You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. We're in the middle of a series leading up to Easter titled Greater Than Expected. This week, Pastor Lisa brought us a message about how Jesus is a greater than expected friend. Let's dive right in. All right, well, good morning, Word of Life. How are we this morning? All right, that's good. What a beautiful time of worship. How wonderful to be in the presence of Jesus, worshiping him and hearing from him. I'm just so thrilled to be part of a worshiping church. Are you grateful for that? I am certainly grateful for that. Well, uh, we want to welcome everyone who's here this morning. If you're here for the first time, we're so glad. We want you to feel welcome. We hope you stay for a few minutes afterwards, have a cup of coffee out in the cafe, and just meet some people. And if you're joining us online this morning, we have some chat hosts that are there to welcome you. They're there to pray with you. So make sure you take advantage of that opportunity today. Um, Just as the announcement said, we are in a series greater than expected, and we're talking about Jesus being greater than we can expect and greater than anyone else expected. So so these are some things that we talked about over the last few weeks. We talked about Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the healer, Jesus the restorer. That was Pastor Megan with that tangible response. I love that. And Jesus the teacher. So literally there are so many words we could think of to describe how great Jesus is and how much greater he is than we expect. Um, And I was given some options to choose from. And so I chose something that may seem very simple and yet extremely profound. And that word is friend. Jesus is a greater friend than expected. Now, if you want to have a simple yet profound conversation, have a conversation with a child right? Kids say simple yet profound things all the time because they're taking in so much information. They haven't always formed opinions about things, or maybe they have very strong opinions and they don't filter them, right? So um, I was able to ask a few kids, and actually I asked a few parents to talk to their kids so they'd feel more comfortable. I asked them, how would you define a good friend? So these are some of the answers I got. Enjoy. A good friend helps you whenever you get hurt. They're kind and they stand up for you when there are bullies being mean to you. A good friend is kind to me. A friend is someone who is nice to you. A good friend shares. I'm guessing that's because maybe this this child has had the experience of not being shared with. A good friend is loving. A good friend is somebody who's kind, fun to hang out with, and fun to play with. A good friend treats people like they want to be treated. Someone who cares when you're sad. This is my favorite. A good friend likes dinosaurs. He's kind and builds magnetile houses with me. Right? You can't argue with that one. Friends do amazing things. They are always there for you no matter what. These are from the mouths of children. Some of the children write in this church. Now from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he says, in the Old Testament, friend is a covenant term. Abraham was the friend of God. Jonathan and David were covenant friends. Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Someone to whom you can go to reveal the depths of your heart when needed. You've been hurt and need advice on what to do. So you go to your best friend. 
Now, hopefully in this room, each one of you has at least one good friend. For me, my husband is my very best friend. I'm so grateful that um, I have my high school youth group sweetheart that I was um, able to find as a good friend, and he continues to be my best friend. And I have some other people in my life, especially some precious, God-fearing women that surround me. They keep me accountable when I need to be told that I need to get myself in line, right? I can bounce things off them. I can, they will pray with me at a moment's notice. Those are good friends. And hopefully you have someone who's kind, who understands you, who cares about you. But even the best of human friendships have limitations because we're human, right? And so we might view friendships as what we consider good, Right? We might view them from our own perspective or what we would want or what we think we would need. Um, and sometimes that doesn't work very well. In addition, there are things that we can't always expect from human friends. Sometimes there are burdens that are really, really huge and we can't even articulate them well. Maybe we feel ashamed or embarrassed about something and we're not even sure we can verbalize it. Maybe uh, there's a need in your life and you don't know who to talk to about it because it's something that you haven't even come to grips with yet. Maybe there's friends who have failed you in the past. Maybe they weren't there when you needed them or they made a mistake because they're human and they hurt you. Spurgeon goes on to say, best human friends are fallible. You rehearse your hurts to them and you bring another person into an already complicated situation. You ask for advice that may or may not be helpful. You're troubled when you arrive and are likely still troubled when you leave because the expectations that we place on people are sometimes greater than their humanity can bear. But Jesus exceeds our expectations of friendship. In fact, because, as I said earlier, our ideal of friendship is based on what we think, how we respond, what we want. But Christ is divine. He is God. And the friendship he offers is above us beyond anything our human minds can even begin to imagine and anything that we ourselves can bring into any human relationship. So before we go into this any further, let's stop and let's pray. We're going to talk to our friend, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you're here today. We thank you that you are our divine friend. We thank you that in this room, all across this room, we can learn today how to trust you, how to know you well, and how much you love us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you shine a light on your word today, that you illuminate it, that it comes to life in our hearts and our minds. Change us from the inside out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at several concepts about friendship and how Jesus is a friend who is greater than anyone else. So here's the first one. Jesus is a friend who goes out of the comfort zone. Jesus is a friend who goes out of the comfort zone. Now this morning I'm going to read, be reading from several different passages of scripture because I'm speaking on a topic. I will be reading from the New Living Translation. And here is the first passage, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Expectations and friendships are sometimes built on somebody's reputation. We wanna be friends with the person who is known to be kind and generous in the community. Someone who's respected, someone whose family is looked upon as doing well, whose profession is credible. Most people would avoid affiliating themselves with someone like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And this is why. The tax collectors in the Jewish people of the day were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government. And what they did was crooked. They were thieves. They often doubled the tax and pocketed half for themselves. Or they taxed somebody after they had already paid their taxes. Or they charged interest that they didn't earn. So this is why Zacchaeus was wealthy. He was wealthy off the backs of his own people. And these tax collectors were despised and they were ostracized by the Jewish people. This story is just one example um, you can look up Mark chapter 2, Luke chapter 5, Matthew chapter 26, just, just to name a few, of Jesus crossing the line of current standards and comfort zones from, from the Jewish people. Those living an openly sinful life were considered unclean, untouchable, unloved, and outcast. The Jewish people as a whole would not be sitting with them. They certainly wouldn't be going to their houses. But Jesus not only spoke about loving friendship to all, he modeled it in person and continues to model it. Because every single one of us is marred and messed up. Every single one of us has sin in our lives. Every one of us is in the same situation as Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the woman of ill repute, the outcast, the misfit, and the rebel. His care and concern for what people would say about him was outweighed greatly by his care and concern for the people he ministered to. His purpose in life was to seek those who were lost and love them well. He had, to, he had to do things that others would feel uncomfortable with, and he went out of their comfort zone. By sitting down in the home of Zacchaeus, Jesus showed that friendship with God is not based on our goodness. It's based on his. I'm going to say that again. Jesus showed that friendship with God is not based on our goodness. It's based on his. And he called some of those sinners. He called Matthew, who was also a tax collector, to become his follower. He called people who others would never bring to their table. They would never put them in their circle. They would never have them playing on their team. He called the outcast. He called the untouchable. They became his disciples because he is an incredible friend, greater than expected. And he's a friend to us even while we're slaves to sin. Romans 5.8, one of my favorite scriptures said, says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
before I cared to know him, before I even knew that I was a sinner and needed forgiveness, before I knew his name, Jesus died for me and he died for you. He died for every single one of us because he is an incredibly loving friend who goes outside of the comfort zone. Now for me, one of the things that I love about some of my best friends, my good friends, is they are friends who stretch themselves. They go outside of what's easy and what's comfortable. Any of you have great friends like that? People who stretch themselves, they're there for you when you need them, right? A good friend like that, they're not just with you when things are going well, right? Sometimes when things are going well, we have all kinds of friends, right? They want to hang out with us. They want to have barbecues on our deck, whatever. They're always there for us. But there are only a few friends who are there in the tough stuff, right? In the moments when our hearts are broken and things are difficult. These kind of friends show up when things aren't great. And Jesus modeled exactly that several times. But I'm going to share one of my favorite examples of another concept about the friend of Jesus. Jesus is a friend who understands brokenness. Now, John chapter 11, I, I promise you I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm just going to read a tiny bit. John chapter 11 details the account of three friends of Jesus, Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Lazarus became sick, very sick, so sick that he died. And Jesus traveled several days later to their hometown of Bethany. Now, this story is so well known. It is a moment when life wins out over death. And Jesus performs a miracle to a crowd of people. And they're left with no doubt that this man is not just any man. The miracle working power of the living God is seen in front of them. But there are other people in this story. They're friends of Jesus, and their lives are so impacted that we see this leader, this teacher, this Messiah, this miracle worker stop, and he shows up in brokenness. Now, there's a lot to this story. As I went digging into it, there's significance about the amount of days that it took Jesus to show up. There's significance about the conversations that were going on. There is a whole lot, and I would challenge you to dig into it because if I start talking about it, I'm going to end up way over here and I'm going to have to find my way back. And that's okay over in kids' ministry. I can do that all day long, but not here, right? So I'm going to stick to where I'm at. Um, but there are these interactions happening with Mary and Martha and Jesus. But there's one standout verse, a very short verse, verse 35, and it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, why in the world would Jesus show this type of emotion knowing that in just a moment, Lazarus was going to stand up and walk out of that tomb, completely healed, completely whole. Why in the world would Jesus waste the emotional energy in that moment when he knew what was about to happen? He fully embraced his humanity, and he fully embraced his divinity, and he related to his friends, Mary and Martha. He sat with their grief and their despair, and their brokenness. And he related to it in this beautiful moment of empathy and compassion. 
The Old Testament promised that the coming Messiah would be one who understood grief and brokenness. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus understands and sympathizes with pain. So, Jesus didn't scold Mary and Martha for their broken hearts. He didn't minimize them. He didn't ignore them. He didn't throw a simple, neat, tidy scripture at them and move on. Jesus sat with them and he cried with his hurting friends and he cried. Now he could have healed Lazarus with a spoken word way back when he heard that he was sick. He could have done that, but instead he traveled to Bethany for a funeral. And one of the reasons he did that was to show his friends that he cared, that he cared about them. Jesus cares about our brokenness. Now he knows that one day there will be no brokenness. For those of us who follow him, we will be with him in eternity. All of the sad things will be made untrue. All of the tears will be wiped away. There will be joy and there will be rejoicing in the presence of our Savior forever. And that is great news, right? That is great news. If one claps, we all have to clap. That's Pastor Tom's rule, right? But Jesus knows that, and he didn't shame Mary and Martha with that great news. He didn't say, remember, one day, one day it's going to be this way. He didn't do that. He used the opportunity to comfort them, and he used the knowledge of the great news of who he is and what he does to sit with them and be their friend. Now, my very best friends show up for me when my heart is broken. My closest friends know the things that hurt me. They know the things that I'm ashamed of. They know the things I'm embarrassed about, the things that I don't want to talk about, but I really need to. And Jesus knows even more of that because he is a great, great friend. We don't have to hide our hurt from him. We don't have to put on a brave face. We don't have to hide our brokenness and our pain because he is a friend who already knows about it. He already knows it's going to be taken care of, but in the meantime, he cares about it. And as Jesus draws us, the broken and wounded sinners to him, and we become his followers, he shows us what a good friend he is. And as we grow closer to him, we see more of his goodness, we see more of his wonder, and we see more of his love. His followers experienced that firsthand as he walked with them and taught with them because Jesus is the friend who values close relationships. Jesus is the friend who values close relationships. Now, during the three years of public ministry that Jesus was on earth, he loved and cared for all of those he was ministering to. And he had these especially close followers, his disciples, his very close friends. And they were the beneficiaries of his friendship. He walked with them. He talked with them. The God of the universe, the Savior of the world. They walked and talked with him, and he was their friend while preparing them for ministry to others because they all had work to do. And so I'm going to read from John chapter 15 here, verses 12 through 17. And some of you may know some of these verses by heart. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. 
Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that my Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Now this passage is in the middle of several chapters um, from the book of John during the Last Supper. Jesus was gathered there with his followers and he began to download all of this instruction, all of this information that they needed in that moment and they were definitely going to need in the very difficult days to come and after he left them and the Holy Spirit came in his fullness. So as he gathered them, it's important, I think, to pay attention to what he said, right? He had their undivided attention for those moments as they shared the Passover feast together and I think this stuff is worth paying paying attention to. He talks about love. He talks about his love for them. He's investing time in them. And he tells them, you are extremely important to me. He's telling them that. Uh, Just above this in verse 9, Jesus compares the love he has for them, his followers, as the same love that the Father has for him. Now imagine that. Jesus is perfect. He's without sin. His disciples are sin-filled misfits, just like we are, right? They messed up a whole bunch. They didn't said some dumb things, right? If you look through, there's some interesting things that happen. But Jesus says, the love that the Father has for me, I have the same love for you. I value you. Now, what kind of friend can set aside all kinds of flaws, all kinds of mistakes, all kinds of stuff? Jesus can do that. His friendship with them was not predicated on their behavior. It was predicated on his love. Relationship with Jesus means he is with us. When we spend time in worship with him, like we did this morning, we are worshiping someone who loves us deeply who cares about us, who wants to know us. When we spend time in prayer, we are talking to and listening to someone who wants to be in a relationship with us. Just like on earth here, the people that we are deepest in relationship with are the people we spend time with, right? The people that we talk to, the people that we do life with. And that's how Jesus designed us. He designed us to be in relationship. Jesus said there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And here he speaks of covenant friendship, just like Abraham's covenant friendship with God and Jonathan and David's covenant friendship. He speaks of a friendship so meaningful that he is about to pay the ultimate price to make the ultimate sacrifice for them to die because he valued his relationship with them so much that he never wanted them to be separated from him in eternity. He valued that relationship so much that he died to keep it intact. Jesus was in a position of leadership, but he stressed to his followers in that moment that he was their friend. He was their friend. And that meant so much to him that he could not allow them to be separate from him. He died on the cross, and that was his ultimate act of friendship. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 said, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. 
He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Because Jesus is the friend who brings reconciliation. Now, the commonly known definition of reconciliation is this, the restoration of friendly relations. When we talk about reconciliation, when you look it up, that's kind of what the common term is, when we restore friendly relations or relationships. We see people in strained marriage attempt to reconcile their relationship. Cultural division calls for reconciliation, right? And even nations at war will often come to a place of reconciliation so that there's friendship and even sometimes mutual benefit. We see that happen here. But the meaning of reconciliation throughout Scripture, it's deeper and it's richer. In the Old Testament, if we look in Leviticus and Ezekiel especially, the term can be explained as to make atonement to make atonement. The idea here conveyed is that of forgiveness and restoration to divine fellowship on the ground of a propitiation. And a propitiation is an appeasement or a satisfying of the terms of a holy God. Sometimes reconciliation, when we see that word, it's a reference to a sin offering. Some New Testament passages refer to it as a purging away. So this is a deep, deep term in the word of God. And it means sacrifice. It always means sacrifice. Where there's reconciliation, there's sacrifice. Throughout the scriptures, we see God's people making atonement, sacrificial offerings as a way to appease a holy God and bridge the gap that widened between a sinful people and a holy God. And there was always a gap even with the sacrificial offerings, even with appeasement, even with propitiation, there was always a gap. There was always something that came between them and God. And it was sin. It was sin. Even the priests, the ones, they spent hours getting themselves ready to make atonement for the people, to offer sacrifices, to stand before God on behalf of the people that they represented. But they even could never fully embrace the holiness and the righteousness of a mighty God because of their sin. The mission of Christ in coming to earth culminated in his arrest, in his trial, in his brutal beating, in his crucifixion and death, and finally in his triumphant resurrection. David Gussick said, the blood of the cross speaks to us of the real physical death of Jesus Christ in our place, on our behalf before God. That literal death in our place and the literal judgment he bore on our behalf is what saves us. In those space of those days, Jesus did something that only the greatest of friends could attempt. Only a friend with pure and selfless motives would try it. And he didn't just attempt to bring reconciliation between us and God. He did it. He did it. God's plan for friendship originated at creation. When God created Adam and Eve, his plan was to be in relationship with them. But that plan was marred by sin. But God is good, and his plan for mankind was not derailed. It was and it always has been to be in perfect relationship, perfect friendship with us. And even though sin created a gap so wide that it's impossible for us to close, 
No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter how hard we strive to be good, we cannot do it because we will always fall short. Jesus stood in the gap between us and a holy God. Not only did his sacrifice appease and atone, his sacrifice removed the gap. He removed it. It is gone. There is no gap because of what Jesus did for us. If one person claps, we all have to clap. Amen. Amen. Now, even in the best of circumstances, when there's a break in friendships or relationships, when there's been a division, reconciliation is difficult, right? When there's been a break, reconciliation is difficult. It takes time. It may take mediation. It may take a professional to help. Um, there may be separation. There's going to be lots of communication in order to bring that reconciliation. But what Jesus does for us, it's instant. It's instant. His friendship with us allows us immediate reconciliation with a holy God. There are no negotiations. There is no extended communication. There's no need for a professional because he is reconciliation and restoration. That is who he is. It is what he does. He came to do. He did it. And it's done. It is final. It's divine. And it's perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen. The best friends are the ones who will stand in the gap between two people at odds and try to help make amends. Maybe you've had a friend who's done that for you or for somebody else. Maybe you've been the friend who's been willing to bridge the gap between two people who are divided. That's what Jesus does. But when he did it, he didn't just do it for one person. He didn't just do it for two people or three or five or ten. He did it for all. He did it once, it was done, it was finished, and he did it for all. And then he calls us to bring reconciliation to others. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 says this, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. He uses us. That's so cool. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus is a friend like nobody else. He's a friend like nobody else. He's greater than expected. And when we know him, he makes us more and more like him. He calls us to be more like him. He calls us to extend friendship to others. We aren't made to do life alone. Like I said, God created us for relationship. And so this can be a challenge for us today. Hopefully it's a challenge for all of us. So today, if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to challenge you to be a friend who is more like Jesus. Being a friend like Jesus means we go out of our comfort zone. It means we cross a room. It means we look past differences. It means we push past barriers. We push past cultural norms. And we befriend those 
who maybe others won't. We do what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us to do. We speak for Christ. Being a friend like Jesus means we sit with others in brokenness. We don't allow ourselves the self-protective reaction of quick scriptures or band-aids when people are hurting. We hold space for grief and we grieve with others. Oswald Chambers says, God continually introduces us to people in whom we have no interest. And unless we are worshiping God, the natural tendency is to be heartless toward them. We give them a quick verse of scripture like jabbing them with a spear or leave them with a hurried, uncaring word of counsel before we go. A heartless Christian must be a terrible grief to our Lord. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. A Christ-like friend will make space for grief and they will be there when someone is hurting. Are we allowed to point to the truth of the word and the hope of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But we earn that right by relationship. We earn that right by showing love and care and kindness and being willing to have honest conversations and show our empathy and our love first. That's not easy, is it? But Jesus calls us to do it, he modeled it. Being a friend like Jesus means we place high value on quality relationships. It means that we're honest with other people. We have open conversation with them. It means we are real with people. It means we care and we honor one another. And being a friend like Jesus means we take the hard road of reconciliation. We work to bridge gaps. We place ourselves in a posture of forgiveness and we seek forgiveness quickly. We humble ourselves before Christ because he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. When there are rifts in relationships, we don't add to them. We make it possible for there to be wholeness and restoration. And being a true friend to someone who doesn't know about the reconciliation that Jesus came to bring means we do what Paul said in 2 Corinthians and we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We call others to reconciliation with God through this great friend, Jesus Christ. Now maybe today in this room, you need a friend. Maybe you feel like you're lonely because people write you off. They don't take you seriously. They don't try to understand you. Maybe you have deep hurts, heaviness, brokenness, things that you're going through that you aren't willing to trust anybody with because you're not sure that you can tell them what's going on. Maybe you can't even articulate it. It can't even come out of your mouth because the pain and the burden is so deep. Maybe you've been looking for someone who wants to invest in a relationship with you, who wants to see the quality of who you are and your value. And of course, I wanna tell you there's someone who can fill all of those roles and can fill them perfectly and will never let you down. And that's Jesus. Maybe you think you're being punished for messing up. Maybe you think you're not good enough to be his friend. Maybe you think there's no way he would overlook me like everybody else does. Why in the world would Jesus want to be my friend? But the great news here is that friendship with God isn't based on our goodness. 
It's based on His. And Jesus paid the highest price possible to be your friend. He died for you. He sacrificed Himself so that the sin, the things that come between you and God, when you disobey Him, when you don't go the way that He wants you to go, those things are taken care of. They're gone. And all that He asks for in return is for you to allow Him to be the Lord and leader of your life. He offers you friendship. He offers you eternal hope just for that. So if that's you today, we want to pray with you in this room. We have time. I can promise you, I've said this before, I'm the kids pastor. Your kids are fine over there. So we have time. We have a few moments. So if that's you today, we're going to take a moment. And all over this room, I want to give you a chance. If you're far from God today, even if you've been far from Him all your life, even if you've been far from Him for just a short time and you need to be reconciled to Him again, I wanna give you the opportunity. So all over this room, out of respect, we're gonna bow our heads and to remove distractions, we're gonna close our eyes. And if that's you and you want Jesus to be your friend and the Lord and leader of your life, you want to give up the thing that has widened the gap between you and God, the sin that is in the way, I just want you to look at me and get my attention. All over this room, I'm just looking across right now. I see you. I see you. Thank you. All over this room, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, you might feel a little tug on your heart. You might feel like this moment, I can't let this moment go by. That's Him talking to you. Just get my attention. We wanna pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. All over this room, thank you. Thank you. Mm. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We have time to make a place of prayer. We have time to respond to what God is speaking to us. Hopefully this morning you've been challenged and maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your friendship with Jesus and how you can represent Him and be His ambassador and say to people, come back to God. So in just a moment, we're gonna have the prayer team up here to pray with people and we're also gonna invite you to come up and pray privately if you want. But before that, I wanna pray with you if you've raised your hand and gotten my attention this morning. So we're gonna pray with them, okay? We're gonna pray the prayer that we pray every week. It's as simple as this. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. Help me follow you every day. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The prayer team is coming. If you need prayer, come up for anything. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we want you to come up and tell somebody. We want you to come up and let somebody know. And if you wanna make a private place of prayer, you come up and do that. We have time, let's worship and let's pray together. While people are praying and while maybe in your seats you're being challenged, I'm just gonna close out and um, turn over to Nick in just a moment. 
Um, we end our time in Life Kids on Sunday morning and our time with our team together and also our time in chapel at Wolka every day with a blessing. And a blessing is not a prayer. It's a little different from a, pr a prayer. Prayer is when we talk to God about the things of earth, but a blessing is when we speak to the people of earth about the things of God. So for just a moment, we're gonna allow ourselves to be children in the presence of God with this blessing. So you can hold out your hands like you're getting something if you want, or hold your hands like this in a, in a posture of receiving. You can leave your hands in your lap. You can close your eyes if you want to, or you can leave them open. The Word of God says there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. May you know that Jesus is the friend who crosses barriers to meet you. May you know that there is no grief or pain that he will not walk through with you. May you know that he knows and loves you well and desires for you to know and love him also. And may you seek to often call others to come back to God because of your friendship with Jesus and his great love for them and for you. Amen.